Galatians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse uh, 23. Bless you. (laughs) Starting in verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you all, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we are under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everyone. My name is Drew, and I am an embedded church planter slash worship lead here at Park Hill. And that means that actually a year ago now, in January of 2021, my wife Laura and I, along with our six kids at home, said yes to God's call on our life to join Park Hill with the intention of planting a church in the next few years. So we've been embedded here for one year, and it's been so beautiful already. I had no idea coming in how much work the Lord was going to do in my heart, especially in regards to the love that I have for the church, for his bride. Um, My family has found deep community here, and a lot of that is because you all are so welcoming. So thank you for that. We love you guys. I think that's probably enough about the little Enos crew. So let's talk about our text today, all right? If you've been with us since January of this year, then you know that we are in a series through the book of Galatians called One New Family. If you're new here, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And as one of the leaders, um, I pray that you find a true sense of belonging in this church family. Uh, When we say that, we really do mean it, because at the table of Jesus, all are welcome, all belong, and that includes all of us together as one new family. Um, In the book of Galatians, we've been talking a lot so far about the issue that Paul was addressing when he writes this book, namely the divisions that some were causing in the church, trying to get the Gentiles to act and look more like the Jews. If you're new, spoiler alert, this was not and is not the plan of God, the heart of God. 
At the core of the full gospel, God was establishing the most diverse family the world has ever known. And this family is specifically made up of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, according to John in Revelation 7. This is why we collectively, as a church leadership team, pray that you experience that true sense of belonging, because this is supposed to be the most diverse and unified family that God has created. That was Jesus, that's what Jesus was dreaming for the church, and it's the reality that we're living in right now. But the problem that Galatia was facing is that they were setting contingencies in order for the Gentiles to belong, and they were literally divisions that Jesus died to decimate. This is the reality polity that Paul was speaking into uh, the Galatian church in our text today. In Jesus, one new family... Diverse yet equally beloved children of God exist because of his sacrifice. So this issue that Paul spoke to over 2,000 years ago is still alive in the church today. They're chasms dug by political, theological, racial, gender, or sexual differences. They're things that people in the world point to to say we should divide over these things But the kingdom points to these differences and celebrates the mosaic that is the one new family of God, where we all belong. You know what a mosaic is, right? A picture made up of a bunch of little different pictures. This is the family of God. We retain our differences, but we're united in this one new family. Last week, Evan beautifully explained the Abrahamic blessing and how we are all included in that promise When Yahweh, he chose a family in Abraham, and he always had the whole world in mind. God's family was created to be a blessing to all nations. This became a reality when through the lineage of Abraham, Jesus came to us, and through him, a new humanity was born. The very thing that we identify as the promise for Abraham, that his descendants would be a blessing to all nations, is what we call the gospel now. It's the reality that we're living into. It was the promise then, it was the blessing for Abraham, but it's the reason that we are all gathered here. We're living out this promise. It's the gospel that we invite other people into. And this brings us to Paul's continuation in chapter 3, where he does some work explaining the necessary role of the law and its purpose in Christ. So today is sort of a coming-of-age story. Some of you love reading those novels and watching those movies or whatever, those stories, those coming-of-age stories. This is what Paul is doing for us in the text. Here's the idea that he's laying out. Yahweh, the creator God, wrote a will for his, hu- his human family. He wrote a will for his human family. And it was the promise that he gave to Abraham that we just talked about, that every nation would be blessed through his family, this one new family of Jesus that we're living in now. Then in the time of Moses, God appointed the law as a guardian until his children were of age to receive their inheritance, which is the kingdom of God. So the coming of age event for the children of God was the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Jesus. Those were a lot of words, right? 
Really, it comes down to this. When Jesus assumed throne as king, the father was like, it's go time for all the children. Are you tracking with me? It's not limited anymore to just the children of Israel. With Jesus assuming the throne, it activated the expansion plan that the father always had for his family. Hopefully this helps. Our coming of age is the same as what the Old Testament called the age to come, which is the same as the kingdom of God. It was this historic moment where heaven met earth again with the coming of Christ. That's why Jesus preached the kingdom so much because he brought it in. But the Galatians, they saw their Jewishness as the key to being part of the family. But the father, he wrote all nations into his will. So the kids are like, yeah, but I'm blood related. And Jesus responds by proving that blood is not thicker than water as both flowed out of him when he united us as one new, big, diverse family. The thing is that this should not have caught the Jewish people by surprise because they had a biblical precedent to believe in the salvation of the Gentiles for hundreds of years before Jesus even came. Let's look at three passages together. These are Old Testament passages that the Hebrew people would have known well that were a foreshadowing or foretelling of this blessing that we're living in right now. So first we go back to, as Evan mentioned last week, the Abrahamic blessing and promise in Genesis chapter 12. Yahweh says to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Notice that all peoples on earth will be blessed. All includes Gentiles, in case you were wondering. Then David in Psalm 22 prophetically says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. This Psalm 22, the first verse of that Psalm, by the way, is the verse that Jesus quoted on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think that Jesus could have made it any more clear that he was the king ushering in this invitation for the expansion of his one new family. He said it right there on the cross. I am quoting this this psalm that says this is the moment when all families and nations will be brought into this invitation to worship Jesus as king. Then in Daniel, he describes a vision in Daniel 7. He says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
Notice the language that Daniel uses about the coming of Jesus and his coming with the clouds of heaven as he approached the ancient of days. There's a misconception with this passage sometimes where when we think of the Bible referring to Jesus coming on the clouds, we think of him coming to earth on the clouds. But this passage was prophesying about the ascension of Jesus after his death and resurrection, that Jesus would ascend back to the right hand of the Father to assume the, the throne as king, and he came on the clouds to approach the Ancient of Days. God the Father. So this was the moment Daniel prophesied about when he assumed throne as king. All nations and people of every language were invited to worship him as this one new family. So Paul, his point in Galatians is that if anyone calls Jesus king, we must also acknowledge his kingdom as being one new diverse family, including people from every nation, language, and background on earth. If we can't agree with that, then we are not agreeing with King Jesus or his kingdom that had been prophesied about for hundreds of years before he came to earth. So with all of that in mind, let's look again at our passage today, starting with chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 23. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Remember last week, the footnote that that Evan brought up in the NIV version. It's the same footnote that we have for verse 23 here. And it has to do with the coming of this faith. The faith it's referring to here is the faithfulness of Jesus himself. This was the moment that the father had in mind as the coming of age for his children. It was the faithfulness of Jesus that makes everything right for us. As we say part or as we say yes to his faithfulness, we are included in this family. See, Jesus accomplished something that none of us could. Because he followed the law perfectly, which made him the only one who could die to free humanity from the bondage of sin and death. This is what Paul is getting at here. And he continues in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. This is how we say yes to Jesus' faithfulness. By being baptized, please note here that that Paul is assuming that every believer in Galatia had been baptized. That they had obeyed Christ by entering the waters of baptism. Here at Park Hill, we like to say that baptism is to life with Jesus what a wedding ceremony is to marriage. It's not something to be fearful of or intimidated by. It's not something that we should put off until we feel like it's the right time. It's actually entrance into the kingdom family. So I'm going to shamelessly plug again. This is happening next week. Next week is the first first Sunday of the month. And we set up 
the dunk tank, as Aaliyah said. (laughs) We set it up in faith for those who have not yet followed Christ into the waters of baptism. This is an amazing opportunity. If you have not done that yet, please let us celebrate with you this holy moment. Let us affirm you as the Father affirms you that that you are his beloved child and that he's well pleased with you. Before you even start walking and doing the things that Jesus did, this is step one, saying yes and following him into the waters. Paul also said in Romans chapter six, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. We too may live a new life. Again, Paul assumes that every member of the church in Rome had been baptized. The reason that Paul so frequently made this assumption was because it's obedience to King Jesus. It's really the first act in kingdom living. Yet there's still so many Christians who are not baptized today. And we get to do our part in preaching this message. Let's do this as the family of God and obey Christ into the waters of baptism. With this in mind, Paul continues his thought in verse 28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now it's very important to note with this passage, with which I think uh, verse 28 in particular, Paul is not saying that because we're in Christ, we are no longer diverse or distinct. If Paul was saying that, then John would have been calling him a liar in Revelation 7 when he saw that diverse family worshiping King Jesus. Paul is actually saying that though we are distinct, we all equally belong in this family. There aren't some who belong more than others. In the kingdom, there's one king and there's his family and that's it. So the things that that once divided us are squashed in the kingdom. And now we're this united family, the children of the promise. Many use passages like this to say, yeah, but that's something that only Jesus can do. That's only the work that King Jesus will do in the end, at the end, in the, the new kingdom, new earth. So why don't we just preach the Bible and just be content. And yeah, there's some element of truth that we are hopeful for the day when this is fully realized. When I guess the the already is gone and the not yet is fully here, where there's no more death, where there's no more sickness. There are no more tears of sadness. We long for that day. But right here, right now, because Jesus ushered in the kingdom and we live in the already, there are these touch point moments where heaven meets earth. And one of the ways that happens is through the family of God celebrating our diversity, celebrating the things that the world looks in and it's like, how how do you function in one building? 
I mean, we, we look around this room, people of all different ethnicities, race, backgrounds, sexual orientations, all of these things, differences, united in the family of God. And this is something that we cherish here at Park Hill because we belong in this family, diverse, but equally belonging. So beautiful. So we continue into chapter four now, verse one. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So Paul is making the case here that even though the children of God were the chosen people through Abraham and that blessing, that they were not exempt from being enslaved. They were also under the curse of sin and death, and they were subject to the attacks of the demonic powers who were trying to get them to break their covenant with Yahweh. But they were, giving, they were given a law by God as a way for them to access him, to access their father. The law was one step forward in restoring something that was lost in the fall. He says in verse 3, So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That's kind of a mouthful, right? The elemental spiritual forces of the world. The fun thing is in Greek, that's just one word. We complicate things, right? Because we struggle sometimes to find exact meanings for these words. But what Paul is saying with that word for elemental spiritual forces is he's talking about the four elements. He's talking about earth, air, fire, and water, and the gods that pagans would worship as they worked with the elements. So this means that at the time Paul is writing, this would have made sense in a pagan culture that they would understand when I'm working with earth, I'm doing so to please the gods of the earth. The demonic powers of the earth. I'm working to please these gods, to find favor. And so Paul is saying here with this illustration that formerly our identities were slaves in bondage to these principalities and powers of darkness that rule the earth. We used to be enslaved to them. But he's saying that's not who you are anymore. Maybe you hear that and you're like, okay, Drew, that sounds pretty mystical and wild, but that, what does that have to do with us at Park Hill right now? What does that have to do with me? And the answer is it has everything to do with you because Paul is pointing out an identity crisis in the Galatian church. He's saying our identities used to revolve around performance. We used to be under the influence of these dark powers that rule the world. We used to be slaves to sin. But mind the fact that, that Paul is speaking in past tense here. We were. This was our identity. But he gives us a warning in present tense. He says in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is very important for us to understand. We are no longer held captive by the powers of this dark world, but 
we still need to fight against them. We're still engaged in this war. I don't know about you, but when I typically think of war, I think of these moments throughout history where everything shifted because things were worked worked out through warfare, right? But I don't always think about this cosmic battle between darkness and light that's been going on throughout all of history. And the damage that it does, we can't see with our eyes, but it there's carnage everywhere in the spiritual realm. That people who are made in the image of God would live as something else. That daughters and sons would not live in their identities, but that they would live out lies put on them by those demonic forces. We're still in war. This is a great opportunity to acknowledge the tragic war going on right now in Ukraine. There are followers of Jesus in Ukraine followers of Jesus in Russia, and they're both calling on the name of Jesus, longing for healing and hope. And this too is because of the dark spiritual forces that animates our lust for power and dominance. Battles over territories and borders. This is literally what Paul is talking about when he says elemental forces of the world. So we pray for our diverse spiritual family, both in Ukraine and Russia, in this painful moment. And we realize that the greatest battle is demonic. We fight this battle not by siding with political parties, but by saying yes to King Jesus, who is bringing healing to the nations, both in Russia and Ukraine. This war between the dominion of darkness and light is constant and it's all around us. But it's not something to fear because Jesus won the war. He defeated the enemy and because of that, the demonic forces work tirelessly to get daughters and sons to live like they're still held captive by the powers of darkness. If we're honest for a moment... Can we just acknowledge the fact that we feel that tension within us sometimes? As the children of God, as the the people of God, that we feel that tension, this, this pull to believe lies that are placed on us? Perhaps we feel like we are unlovable, so we begin to live in that lie We distance ourselves from the people who love us best because we don't feel worthy of their love. Or we do things to to make ourselves seem less lovable. Maybe we believe the lie that if we don't perform well, that we won't be accepted. Life is competitive, right? So if we're not the best at everything that we do all the time, then we might not really be accepted by those we love. Perhaps we look at social media and we think we'll never really be impactful for the kingdom of God if we don't have millions of followers, if we're not producing and generating all of this content to be an influencer. When the way of Jesus is like, no, you you passed people who were hungry. Talk to that one hungry person and in doing that, you fed me. This is the way of Jesus. 
The way that we measure success is sometimes tainted by culture. Sometimes we overcomplicate it and we forget our identity as followers of Jesus, that it starts with the people right in front of us. It's amazing that he uses social media. Don't get me wrong. God uses all of those things, but for us, we can live in the truth that it starts right here, right now with the people in front of us. Maybe we believe the lie that because we're under grace, that we can do whatever we want with our sexuality, that we can go out and we can practice things that Jesus does not approve of. And he's like, no, you're my child. I want you to live the best life that I've planned for you. I want you to flourish. Maybe we believe the lie that when we fall into temptation that we have to live in that shame and that it separates us from the presence of God and that he won't want to spend time with us because we're so dirty and wretched or whatever. And he's like, no, daughter, son, come to me. The arms of our father are the safest place for us to be. The safest place for us to run in times of difficulty, in times where we're carrying shame, in times when we've sinned. I love, with all my children, learning lessons about the heart of the father because I can carry shames in moments where I mess up and I can feel distant from God And then he teaches me through the response of my children when they mess up and then they run from time out back into my arms with tears streaming down their face to say that they're sorry. There's nothing I want more than to welcome them and to show them how loved they are and how much they belong. And this is just a microcosm of how our heavenly father feels when we run to his arms when we are facing difficulties. So there are lies that we believe. There are lies that we live. And there are also real traumas that we carry. During pre-gathering prayer today, God spoke through Bree Golden. And she mentioned Psalm 27 verse 10, which Matt also mentioned during announcements today. And it says, My father and mother have forsaken me, But God, he welcomes me. God wants us. And some of us cannot even process what it's like to have a heavenly father because we have no context of knowing a loving father or mother. Maybe we have a home life where our parents were absent. We have a home life where where one or both of our parents have passed away. We have a home life where we've only ever experienced abuse in those who were in authority over our lives. These are real traumas that we carry into the family of God. And because of that, we can struggle in our understanding of his love for us. But this is part of what the family of God is for. We're going to talk in a minute about the spirit of God and how the spirit is the way that we receive love from the father and the way that we praise our father. But one of those ways that we're reminded of our identity is through community, through the people of God, becoming the voice of God to speak the truths of God over our lives when we are doubting. 
when we don't have a context for that kind of love, the people of God step in to show that kind of love. And it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes we build walls of distrust because we're scared of being hurt again. And I'm here to tell you that's valid. That, that's, that's a really rough thing to walk into the family of God with. But he has this miraculous way of bringing people who brick by brick will dismantle that wall to show you that he is trustworthy. So back to our text, Galatians 4.4, Paul says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. God sent his son, who was born under the same law, so we could be adopted into his family. Paul says in Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we experience the love of the Father through the Spirit that lives in us. And then according to Galatians 4, 6, it's by that same Spirit that we cry out to God as our Father. Do you get how beautiful that exchange is? When we feel unloved, the Spirit of God shows us his love. When we feel incapable of pouring out love to him, that the Spirit of God prompts us to pour out our affections to our Heavenly Father. We need the Spirit. Paul wrote to Timothy that we are not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And that love part of that It always challenges me because it's kind of twofold in my mind. When I'm struggling to receive the love of God, I need more of the Spirit. But when I'm struggling to give love to others, to love well, I need more of the Spirit. I guess threefold. When I'm struggling to show God love, I need more of the Spirit. And this is the gift that's been given to the children of God. We have the Spirit. We've been adopted. We have the privilege now of calling God, Creator God, Yahweh, our Father. There's this quote I read once that that nobody has the audacity to wake a king at 3 a.m. for a drink of water except their child. And that's the type of access that we have as the children of God. We approach the king as father. So with the spirit living in us, this means that the highest affirmation goes to his kids. God looks at his daughters and sons and just as he affirmed Jesus, he says, that's my girl. I love her and I'm for her. That's my son. I love him and I am for him. Hear this today. You don't need to live for the acceptance or approval of 
anyone. You already have the approval of your father. You are his child. He loves you and he is for you. I'm going to share this example from my own life and I hope that it resonates with some of you. I've been following Jesus for most of my life. And one of my greatest passions is showing people how loved they are by the Father. I love that. I love when it clicks for people, when they feel unloved and then they understand what God went through to show you how loved you are. But last fall, to be honest, I was facing some of the worst depression and spiritual darkness that I had ever faced in my life. My mind was a battleground and somehow it seemed like darkness was overtaking the light. I was believing lies and I felt somehow incapable of receiving the truths about my identity in Christ. I know it might sound strange because you're like, you're a pastor or whatever. You should be better than that. I'm sorry for letting you down. But you need to know that I am nowhere near exempt from the demonic attacks that are trying to rip me off from being the husband, the father, the son, the brother, the friend, or the pastor that God created me to be. On November 5th, 2021, I was in Costa Mesa, California with my Western Seminary cohort. And during the class, we had a time where we were practicing healing prayer. Now, this is kind of a new thing for me because I didn't really grow up in a tradition where we uh, followed spiritual practices very much aside from prayer and scripture and church. But we had this time of healing prayer. And during this time of prayer, uh, actually before that, the day before, November 4th, God had placed it on Brie Golden's heart. Again, she's kind of the hero of the day for me. Um, I walked into cohort and she just saw a spiritual weight on me. And she was like, I need to pray for you. I don't know if you know Brie. You'll get to know Brie. She's amazing. And she's like tearing up just at the, the weight that I'm carrying and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I could use prayer. Yeah, sure. Like just kind of holding everything in. I hadn't really talked to people about what was going on in my heart and mind. Well, we didn't pray that day. The next day, the professor is like, we're going to practice healing prayer. So get into a group of three, uh, a group of three. And Brie was like, it's go time. This is it. So we got in a group. And... When we started praying, I could literally feel darkness trying to keep me from being freed by the light. About 30 minutes into prayer, after many tears, I had a deep revelation. I realized that my whole life, I had believed the lie that I had to do in order to belong. I thought that the love of God towards me was contingent upon my performance for him. And it wasn't until that day in November that it clicked, that I am accepted because of the faithfulness of Jesus and not myself. 
that I get to serve from the place of acceptance and not for acceptance. It took a lot of work in healing prayer for me to experience breakthrough and relational healing in the presence of my father. But since then, everything in my life has changed. Everything has been influenced by this reality. I had no idea how much throughout my entire life I had been held captive by believing these lies instead of walking out my identity. And I mean, mind you, I've, I've grown up in church. You know, I've, been, I've grown up serving in church and, and never realizing how much God actually loved me because internally it just felt like I wasn't worthy of that. Like I wasn't good enough for that. So maybe you're like, okay, that's a cool story. Good for you. But what does that have to do with me? And what, what does that have to do with Park Hill? How do, we, how do we get through those types of struggles? How do we combat the lies? So going back to November, those cohort dates on the 4th and 5th, we were talking about spiritual practices In November at Park Hill, we were also wrapping up a series about spiritual practices. So it it became very clear to me that our father was trying to get me to understand something. And it was that we remind our souls of our true identity by these spiritual practices. And in following the example of Jesus into silence and solitude... Right, this is a really big one for me. Silence and solitude. This is something that Jesus practiced. Like I was just talking to my wife a couple days ago about grief. John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist, the, the cousin of Jesus, was killed. Jesus gets news of it, and his immediate response is, "I need to go. I need to be away with the Father." Then you know the masses follow him. He feeds them, and then he goes away to be with the Father. If Jesus, the God-man, needed silence and solitude to be with the Father, I need it so much more. Silence and solitude, scripture, when Jesus was in the desert those 40 days and nights, he combats the, the lies of the devil with the truth of God through scripture. We follow him into prayer and fasting. We follow him into community, into Sabbath, into hospitality, into generosity, and so much more. And it's practicing these things as the children of God that help us to look more like our dad. See, the more that we live in this rhythm, the more that the world sees the family resemblance. Because we all look different in appearance, right? So when we go out into the world, what's the distinction? How does the world know that we belong to God, that that we are the children of God? It should be through our actions. It, It should be through the way that we live and love like Jesus. Yes, the church is countercultural in many ways, but when you look at the life of Jesus, there was always something that was attractive about who he was to those who were lost. It's because he made time for them. 
because he sat at the table for them, because he stood in between the Pharisees and them, standing in the place where rocks were about to be thrown. Jesus went out of his way to show love to those who were far from God. So through media, the the church can tend to look like a dysfunctional family, the dysfunctional family of God. And what is attractive about that to the world? Not much, right? There's dysfunction all around the world. If they want chaos, they can go to any, any group and they're searching for belonging. And this is the way that we as the family of God show the world something that is attractive to them. Where they're longing for diversity and a sense of belonging. We can live that out in the church. The world doesn't need the microphone, so to speak, in defining what true diversity and belonging looks like. This is something the church should be talking about. It's something that the Bible has talked about for thousands of years. That the church has been talking about for thousands of years. We're actually countercultural in how much we are diverse around the table and how much we celebrate the fact that we are one new family. This doesn't really happen anywhere else in the world the way that it happens in the church. So we're going to come to the table in a few minutes. We're going to celebrate the very thing that gave us access to our inheritance. But before that, I I can't help but wonder how many of us may be struggling similarly with our identity as children of God. How many of us are currently living in lies? How many of us currently are carrying that shame? How many of us currently feel unlovable? How many of us are looking to social media and just feeling like we'll never measure up, we'll never be successful enough? How many of us have been living a a way that's contrary to the biblical sexual ethic of Jesus and need to come to him today? to be reaffirmed as our, in our identity as children of God? How many of us are carrying burdens because of the, the household we grew up in, because of the family members that we have, because of the trauma that we experienced as, as children or young adults or last week that we need to come to Jesus with and say, this is too much for me. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to process this. We're going to spend some time worshiping. And as we do, I'm going to invite leaders up here who would love to pray with you for breakthrough. Who would pray with you a reaffirmation of who you are in Christ and your belonging in the family of God. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and you're like, fine, that's a great sermon, but I'm not a child of God, so what does it have to do with me? Then I would say that this is the day where a spiritual adoption takes place in the house of God. That you're invited into this family and all it takes is saying yes to King Jesus. I really believe today that as we come forward, 
that there's a war taking place in the spirit. That this is not just, you know, come up and and we'll just say some things to make you feel better. This is actually like there is a dominion of darkness that wants you, but you've been claimed by Jesus. You live in the light. He's conveyed us from darkness into light so that we could live freely as the children of God, not living under the bondage of those false identities any longer. But we fight for this sometimes. We combat darkness with light. So we sing our freedom. So we come up and we receive prayer and we battle this out in the spirit. So I want to invite you now. I'm going to pray. And right after that, we're going to start singing this song. A song to our Father. A song about our belonging. And this is not a moment for you to be burdened by shame and to say, I can't do that right now. I can't go up. People are going to look at me, people, whatever. No, this is about you and your father. This is about you, just like my child, running to the arms of the father where you will find wholeness, where you will find comfort, where the shalom peace of God will, will meet you right where you're at. This is the heart of the father. This is a celebratory moment for us to align our mindset our worldview with the truth of God that says, you're my daughter, I love you and I'm for you. You're my son and I love you and I am for you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God and he died to show you that. We'll come to the table in a moment where we remember physically through the the consumption of bread and cup what Jesus did to prove this. What Jesus did to fulfill those prophecies that we read about, that the Gentiles would be invited in. I don't know about you, but if Jesus didn't die, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be invited into the family. We're here on the other side of the cross, united in this one diverse new family of God. So come forward. Don't leave here carrying burdens that God wants you to drop right here, right now. Let the family of God be the family of God. Let us show you the love of the Father today. So Holy Spirit, come. God, we need you. We need you to understand the love of the Father. We need you to understand that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We need you, Holy Spirit. So we're crying out more of you. The Spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We need you, God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead alive in us today. The same miraculous God who parted oceans and opened blind eyes to see. You're here in our midst. And you are the chain-breaking God, the miracle-working God. So would you do it now in our midst? Would you break the chains of addiction? Would you break the chains of false identities as we come to you, Holy Father? So do this work in Jesus' name.
Would you stand with me and you come as we sing?